0: Cause it just, it just said I was unstable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you just say, it's just quite observant, really.
0: Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast where Father Dave has become redundant because Marty knows everything. He told me. (laughs) And I think I'm
2: actually just enjoying sitting back, listening to the podcast while we're recording it, which is a big problem because I'm actually participating.
1: (laughs) Could I, I need to clarify. I said, I think I know everything, which is different to I know everything. Sorry, Marty.
0: (laughs) He knows everything except whether or not he knows everything. At which point he just thinks maybe.
2: Yeah. Isn't that the whole thing with a teenager? Like when you're 16, you know everything. And after that, you just start to forget stuff. <laughs>
0: me of um, Mark Twain, was it Mark Twain, who said, when I was a child, I thought my father knew everything. When I was a teenager, I thought he knew nothing. And when I was an adult, I couldn't believe how much he'd learned.
1: <laughs> I, I experienced that when I turned about 20, 21. I was amazed at how dad had grown up in the last few years. And now that I've got teenagers, I'm. Apologising to you, Dave. Anxiously awaiting that moment when I grow up, I guess. I have apologised to my dad, yes. <laughs> day, voice I was going to last... tell you guys, after um, my go, I'll, you know, okay, I'll go again. <laughs> yeah, you go. You know, Mario, who he had on a few weeks ago?
0: Yes. Yes, we all yeah, we all know. Yeah, we please
1: say yes. You know, Barry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so asked me to give a talk to his um, youth ministers at a formation day they were doing. He said, "Could you talk for half an hour on faith sharing?" And I said, "Sure, I can talk about the rosary for half an hour. No worries." <laughs> In the end, I probably only talked about the rosary for about twenty minutes, and the rest of it, I talked about you two.
0: What about you sharing your faith with us, or us sharing our faith,
1: or us sharing our faith with other people and mm. and, and each other? And yeah, anyway, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Well, well, done. The feedback was it was good, it wasn't? That's not me saying, you know. No, no, don't worry. Yeah, I, I asked Father on.
0: Dave once, "How was Mass?" and he said, "I enjoyed it." <laughs> 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 don't know about the rest of them father dave i spent uh, the last two days up on the mountain with the chapel i camped in the caravan that you slept in for a month on your sabbatical you survived it was so cold <laughs> i am jed set tired right now because i had the worst night's sleep
1: does it still have a hole in the roof
0: well one of the windows has a hole in it there's a bit of cardboard over that but that isn't attached properly and yes one of the skylights doesn't work as in it doesn't, doesn't, see, keep, or... doesn't keep
1: the water out.
0: It's not there. Oh, it is there now, but there are bricks oh, yeah. holding it down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Did you have some absolutely cracker freezing nights up there? Oh, yeah. Curled yeah, up bit... in the fetal position, wearing full body thermals with multiple blankets over you, thinking, I'm going to hug a candle here in a minute? I
2: think after a month up there, I'd pretty well acclimatized.
0: <laughs> you were only there The temperature
2: outside month. was no different to the temperature inside. It was only that one day when you came up there when it was snowing. And I was looking a little bit blue. Uh, that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that morning was a little bit chilly. But apart from that, I was doing okay. Oh, you're an iron man. <laughs> so Marty, yeah, you had an
0: idea for the podcast, where we going here this season.
1: We're going to do a season on the sacraments, seven sacraments, seven episodes. Boom. What is really going on? So we thought we'd start with baptism, you know, the foundational sacrament. Since it's the one most of us do start with. Well, everyone starts with that. You can't have any other sacraments until you've had baptism,
2: can you? Some people occasionally come to mass having no idea what's going on. They just follow everybody else down the aisle. And it's only at the end they realize, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> well, <It's>... got married. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a few people who've said that about their marriage as well.
0: <laughs> so, baptism,
2: admission to the church or more Yeah, than that? so much more than that. Marty looks a bit stunned.
1: (laughs) No, no, I was going to agree with you, but you looked like you were going to keep going then. I was going to say adoption by God the Father.
2: Mm. Yeah. So we pretty much just defined it. We can just kick back now and do nothing. Oh, no.
1: Excellent.
0: So tell us about your rosary talk, Marty. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Can, Can I ask this? Baptism has a certain formula. This is baptism. Why would God choose that formula and not something else why not say okay here's a post on a mountain and go and touch that and then you're a part of my family
2: strange bit of trivia there actually was something almost similar to that in the jewish tradition where the altars had like horns on the side of them Like, like if you imagine like the four square like four corners of the altar there was like rock bits that kind of stood up almost like horns mm. and there was actually this tradition that if I'm trying to remember back many years back to my seminary study. So I may have got this completely wrong. Just put that there as a, as a disclaimer. But if you had like say murdered somebody or done like some like, serious crime and people were about to kill you, if you managed to get to hold on to one of the horns of the altar, then you're saved. <laughs> Like I say, if you this actually. Sounds like a game we used to play as kids, even as teenagers. <laughs> now, like I say, I'm trying to remember back many Flags. years. I at least should go back and do some research on this too. We called like, it I Rocky. Could've, I could have just made this up completely incorrectly. But uh, yeah, there was something about it. if you could actually get to the horns of the altar, you would be saved. Right. But so baptism was a progression. <laughs> yeah.
1: Saved so physically or well, forgiven of your. like.
2: Well, like I said, I'm trying to remember that. I really should, I shouldn't say such things without having actually probably researched them, but- No, there, you should <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else can now go back and have a good read through the book of Leviticus and see where they can find this. But uh, there, there, there were actually cities of refuge where similar thing, like, like say you'd murdered someone. If you could get to that city before everyone else got you, like that was like a place of refuge. No one could get you. And so yeah. it always just fascinated me, like you would have a city made up full of murderers who are trying to get away from people? <laughs> How did that all work? Like, what was the...
0: Although, are they a city full of people repentant? At least acknowledging they did wrong.
2: Just really afraid of stepping outside the city walls. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, baptism. We probably should get back to that original <laughs> question.
1: So all of that isn't baptism?
2: No, no. Why did God decide to dribble a bit of water over us? That's basically what you're asking.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've got my own theory on it in that there's a symbolism of being immersed, of being washed clean, being immersed in God's love, and water baptism expresses that fairly clear and an outward sign for an inward change.
1: I will say that God prepared people for water being used in baptism thousands of years earlier with stuff like the crossing of the Red Sea. I thought you were going to say Noah's Ark. I was thinking, um... Yeah, Noah's Ark, Red Sea. Like, there's very Old Old Testament images, which is picked up in the New Testament and the Church Fathers around that this is a symbol of baptism.
2: And picked up in the baptism liturgy. So when the priest blesses the water that they use for baptism, he's got this huge long prayer that he has to say about all all the bits in the Old Testament where water sort of prefigured baptism. And it lists off... You know, the Red Sea, the Jordan, all that sort of stuff.
1: Certainly the two examples we've come up with. Yeah. But
0: the formula itself is really important because I've seen in the past month, two separate cases where someone, one was a priest, one was a cardinal who then discovered that their baptism was invalid. They weren't actually baptized.
2: So so then personally.
0: Yeah. So they wow. have discovered. So the first one was a cardinal and he was baptized at birth because they didn't think he was going to survive. And so he was baptized on the spot by a nun. Mm. And years later she had heard that he had become a cardinal. So she sought him out and she said, I just wanted to meet you and it's so lovely that you've become a cardinal. And it was such a pleasure to baptize you as an infant in the name of Mary, Jesus and Joseph. Whoops. And the cardinal at that point (laughs) realized not only was he not baptized, but he wasn't a priest nor a cardinal. <laughs> <laughs> Un- unemployed. <laughs> yeah, of course, the, the church dealt with it very swiftly. And a very similar thing for this priest. Recently, it was only a few days ago, we heard about the priest. over It was either in the United States or Canada. And it was a similar scenario where it was more of an inclusive wording of the liturgy of we baptize you. And it didn't follow the correct formula. And again, he, as a priest, basically everything was on hold and he had to go through all the sacraments again in, in one hit, which he actually loved. This priest was talking about how much he actually really loved going through the sacraments mm.
1: correctly and then continuing on as a priest. So obviously the well, formula is important. Yeah, let's, let's talk about the formula, which is... As I understand it, you tell me if I'm wrong, Father Dave, because you're the one who knows. You've got to say, I baptise you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Correct. Not any other words, not any substitute words.
2: Not the creator, the saviour and the sanctifier.
1: Or anything else. You've just got to say those Jesus exact Mary words. <laughs> <laughs> While either pouring water or immersing water, it's got to touch the skin of the head. Yes. And it's yeah. as simple as that. In its simplest, without any of the liturgy, which is great around mm. it but that's the form and the function of someone being baptized yeah that's it
2: yeah
0: and it makes sense not to allow changes because very quickly a small change which you think oh well it pretty much means the same thing can very quickly become a change where it does not mean the same thing and all of a sudden you get to a point where someone might be baptized in the name of the sons of thunder
2: bad idea
1: which will really give you give you nothing at all no <laughs> you're wet. There's one other requirement, isn't it? The person doing the baptism, saying the words, and pour in the water needs to mean what the church means
2: yeah it's got to be the intention yeah, yeah which is
1: as simple as even if you don't know what the church means you just like you
2: intend to baptize
1: intending them. what the church means is good enough without knowing any theology uh, and that intention being that you become a member an adopted member of the body of Christ well I was just going to say because like the Mormon baptisms aren't real baptisms are they because they don't mean the same thing well,
2: yeah because their understanding of the trinity is a whole lot different mm. yeah that one gets a little bit complicated
0: that's that's the first time this episode
2: It's this <laughs> yep. complicated. I'll get the yeah
1: <laughs> so john john the baptist's baptism that he was baptizing people up to jesus that was mm. slightly different wasn't it
2: well because there, there, there was a whole tradition of sort of ritual baptism or ritual cleansing in the jewish tradition so Around the time when Jesus comes on the scene or John the Baptist.
0: It's a bit of a a a meld of baptism and reconciliation.
2: Well, yeah, you you had this group called the Essenes. So if you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, this was the group responsible for them. So they lived down near the Dead Sea and lived this really strict kind of penitential life. So they excavated and found these ritual baths where they would basically daily uh, immerse themselves for the forgiveness of sins. So Jewish tradition had a, ritual cleansing for purity, but this kind of took it more for forgiveness and it was a daily thing. And so some people suggest that John the Baptist had lived with them for some time, or at least has some influence from them. We don't, we don't really have much evidence for that either way, but the, yeah, his baptism was for repentance. Whereas Mm. the Christian baptism goes another step further, really being for an immersion into the life of God. Mm. Yeah. Much bigger thing. I've
0: been to those baths and mm. the water was the, I, I shouldn't say dirty, but certainly uh, you're not going to see your hand in front of it. A lot of sediment. Yeah. that Jordan river. I don't know if it, uh, it would be necessarily a physical cleansing.
2: Well, the Jordan today is quite different to the Jordan back then. Like I think they take 90% of the water out of the Jordan
1: mm. for agriculture. Oh. So John's baptizing people and Jesus comes up and John says, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, no, do it. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And John baptizes Jesus and uses water. Mm. And and the water sort of never got over this. And so forever after, (laughs) the water all throughout the world is now the thing that can be used for baptizing anyone else because water was used to baptize Jesus. Yeah. It's always a great you?
2: question. Yeah. Well, people, people always ask that question on the feast of the baptism of Jesus. They're like, why did he need to get baptized? The, 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 the simplest explanation is that it was like the whole world was getting baptized by coming in contact with him or like yeah. the whole world become sanctified. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you put salt in water, does the water get salty or does the
0: salt <laughs> get <laughs> salt <gets> wet?
2: wet. <laughs> 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 um, yeah so the, the whole world kind of becomes sanctified by being in contact with him
0: So there's a lot of debating around the world as to whether it should be full immersion baptism
2: well yeah in in a lot of protestant churches they obviously try to go back to like the full scriptural richness i mean there's enormous debate between a lot of the churches around whether you actually need to be baptized because some would say if you've just confessed with your lips then that's enough but yes, yeah, so some would say it needs to be full immersion. That the Catholic belief is that the richness of the symbolism is the ideal. Like if you can, but for it to be valid, all you need is for water to, or a, a, enough water for it to flow off the skin. Um, yeah. yeah, because
0: in the end, it's not the actual water. There's a grace in yeah. that encounter with God. Yeah, and and that is. Immersion and that, that is, there's there's not a mathematical equation of 50, 50 milliliters of water equates to 50 50, parsecs of grace.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I think that's a really good point because the difference between whether you think of it as like minimum requirements or, or what's the best, most richest way you can celebrate this, probably leads Mm. you down two different paths, but the question of what's valid is is a minimum requirements kind of question.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and the Catholic Church has always been good at trying to nut out all the minimum requirements. You know, hmm. so, like, I mean, when, when we got taught this, it, how do you define water? You
0: oh, okay. Can you use <laughs> like, heavy water?
2: Well, yeah, you know, salt water's okay, fresh water's okay, lemonade, no good. No you sure. know, even though it, it might be made up of water, it's not actually water.
0: Horrible for your skin.
2: Down through the ages, theologians have wrestled with this to try and work out what mm. is valid, what is not valid.
0: And that's, that's important to establish that. However, it becomes a sticking point if that remains the focus.
2: It's well, oh, yeah, a little bit like right. being
0: in year 12 when one of my classmates made the facial error of asking our physics lecturer, what do we need to know to pass the exam? <laughs> and we received a lecture from our physics lecturer, being it's easy, it's average to be normal. You have to make no effort whatsoever to be normal. But if you want to actually achieve, if you want to do well, then you're going to have to put effort in.
1: So, back to the question <laughs> What's the minimum? No. That was actually what he said. <laughs> 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 there was a good relationship there between student and teacher. So, you're baptized, your soul is marked, and you're adopted by the Father permanently, and you enter into the church, and your sins are forgiven at that point yeah both any actual sins you've got and your original sin as in the propensity to sin the inheritance of god Mm. that's quite amazing because i i mean you know we're all baptized as infants so you know you don't really remember it but baptism's like reconciliation on steroids as well yeah well but you don't even have to confess like it's all
2: (laughs) reconciliation's almost like a renewal of baptism or yeah, if you're yeah. To, it's like uh coming back to that grace
1: yeah that's
0: that's a better way to put it you know we haven't done we haven't defined what a sacrament is
2: correct we have not just defined what a sacrament is So
0: we're going to do a seven part series on sacraments and we'll define it at the end, end.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you have to keep listening
0: after a short quiz so what's a sacrament sam a sacrament is an encounter with the real living god is that okay It's an encounter Mm -hmm. through through various forms.
1: It is a a symbol.
2: Sacrament means symbol, doesn't it? Is that the derivative of the word? It's like a symbolic expression of an unseen grace. Yeah. Yeah. The symbol normally tries to reflect something of what that grace is, you know. So using water, water is used to clean. And so it sort of speaks something of God's cleansing action to heal us of our sin. Anointing of the sick, we use oil. Oil was often used to try and for healing or for strengthening people. Once yeah. again, speaks something of that. So.
1: Don't talk too much about that because Oh the... yeah,
2: that, that's just a little oh, teaser as to way. you know. <laughs> wait a couple more episodes to get to that.
0: Pretty cool. We've actually got all bases covered for the sacraments.
2: <laughs> In terms of <laughs> who's received we've what. We've all
0: been baptized. Yeah, we've all been baptized, but all the other sacraments, we 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 cover all bases. So
2: how many, with... how many times have you had the anointing of the sixth then? A few times. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> Correlating to the many times you've nearly died, yeah.
1: yeah, first time I was 14. But we'll get to that when we get to anointing of the sick. Well, before you do, have that haven't you, Marty? Yeah, I've had the anointing of the sick a couple of times when I was sick. Um, not like when I was dying, but when I was sick because mm. I've never been dying, yeah, I was dying. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something to work towards, I'm sure I'll get there, but um no i should just for anyone we should go through the list so there's <laughs> having started on baptism we'll start on baptism because that's <laughs> first but there's seven sacraments there's only seven sacraments baptism reconciliation eucharist confirmation marriage holy orders and the anointing of the sick i've got to seven am i is that it
2: if you go to seven then i think you're correct yeah.
0: nailed it is father dave listening or is he on his phone I
2: think he was well, no, writing. I'm, I'm I think just checking, checking something. The... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um Because. Sorry I, listening, listening sorry. What sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> <my children> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I did I wasn't listening. I was, had like half an ear listening. No, because I, I was just checking because there, there, there were discussions in the history of the church about adding other things to being sacraments. Uh, the coronation of kings was almost added as a sacrament, uh, or at least some of the kings wanted it to be
0: i was gonna say it's a little bit I'm sure a few politicians wouldn't mind that either no, nobody else really cared
2: but yeah it was very much that idea that monarchy was a divinely given source hmm. of government or rule but yeah anyway sorry i i, I got distracted while you're listing off the sacraments marty I, I apologize
1: he was he was he was correct <laughs> Look, if, we were, um, if we were you know organized we'd start with the uh the the list of sacraments and then and then introduce what baptism is but you know we just do it in another order it doesn't matter
2: or or we would have actually explained what a sacrament is and then and all of that all of that yeah i think
1: this just proves to our listeners sons of
0: thunder it's not contrived we don't know where we're going
2: (laughs) (laughs) no preparation at all
0: (laughs) well other than marty sending a text out saying let's talk about (laughs) sacraments and us going
1: yeah nice um i want to ask you know that quote from 1 Peter or 2 Peter we talked about? Can you the, do the
0: rest of the podcast in that voice? In that voice? No, probably <laughs> probably not. Um, <laughs> in 1 Peter. Uh, Are you referring
2: to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4? Maybe. I'm, <laughs> I'm referring, referring to... Participants in the divine nature? That's it. Participants in the divine nature. That starts with
1: baptism, yeah? Yeah. So I just have this... Idea that most people, when they rock up to a church for a naming ceremony or a christening, just really have like no idea about how magnifantabulous what's happening actually is.
2: Yeah, most people have got no idea. I, um, I did a baptism. I was I was filling in in one of a, in, a, in a parish, and I just had I was sort of handed this baptism to do. And uh, at the end of the ceremony, the the father got up and s- sort of proudly said to everyone. We're now gonna go on to the most important part of the day. We're gonna go for lunch. So <laughs> i, I have got no idea. <laughs> uh.
0: At my at my niece's baptism a few years ago, there were three babies being baptized at the same time. And a member of the other family group was sitting back in his thongs with his cap on and a can of mother <laughs> which he drank during the baptism in the church. And I suspected he probably didn't quite understand what was happening
1: well that's the that's because of because of the outward symbols that he was um yeah it was you know, mother it he, wasn't water i mean that's sort of exactly the point of sacraments isn't it is this outward symbol of what's going on in, internally and you say well you, you know dude in thongs drinking drinking like there's some outward symbols there showing what's going on internally <laughs> in a completely
2: different <laughs> way Okay, so what is going on internally? Well, so getting back to Marty's uh, reference to the scripture that he'd forgotten what it was, but it, the, the great line in the, the second <laughs> Hang on of St. a second. Peter. Even though Marty had forgotten <laughs> what scripture it was, you knew
0: without having spoken to him which scripture he was thinking of.
2: Oh, we're, we're I'm, thinking of scripture, I'm thinking of a
0: scripture between Romans and James
2: <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5. <laughs> 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 but anyway yeah peter talks about how we become participants in the divine nature it's it's one of these things which i think most catholics are clueless about as well we we don't quite understand the enormity of what is happening john of the cross Saint john of the cross talks a lot about this because he it's kind of this whole idea of well the, the eastern church talks about divinization you know that we will actually become divine we don't hear this much in the catholic church i think because most priests are afraid of Scaring people or confusing them too much? Well, even even more than they are. Well, Yes. But but there is something because, like, you
1: immediately think divinization. You think what Hinduism or yeah, you know, some Eastern stuff. Exactly. That's what sort of, but but that's actually what the church promises. That's what God promises through the church.
2: Yeah, and, God, I think,
1: and, they, and more so than what any of the Eastern religions. Completely. Promise.
2: Yeah. Simplest way I could try and explain it. Is if you think about it in terms of marriage, you know, where two people become one, you know, so you've got a relationship so intimate that we, we symbolize that by exchanging names.
1: Mm.
2: Marty, your wife took your name. Yes, she did. Yes. <laughs> you know, you, you you take on all the all the possessions of the other person as well. You take on. She did that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you, you take on relationship <laughs> with all your in-laws and all the baggage that comes with that. <laughs> um, yep. Hi, Judy. So very much you you become part of that family you know so if you think of that in terms of christianity you know all the way through the scriptures there is this constant marriage imagery like, like god would speak about his relationship with us being like a marriage in prophet hosea he says you no longer call me my master you'll now call me my husband jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom even the the, the wording of the last supper sort of echoes something of the Jewish betrothal ceremony. So the whole thing is Jesus saying, I want you to enter into a relationship where you are now kind of like married to me, you know, or or, or marriage is the really poor symbolism of something even greater that's happening here. Yeah. But what that means is you now take on everything that he owns and everything that he is. So this is where John on the cross would say, we will become divine, not by our nature, like, like our nature stays the same. Like we're, we're, we're human by nature, but by participation in that relationship, we now have a share in the divinity.
1: And not just Jesus, but his family as well, the Father and the Holy Spirit.
2: Well, exactly, yeah. So whenever I try and explain the Trinity on Trinity Sunday, I'll often do it by juggling. You know, imagine three tennis balls, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you then get a bunch of name tags with everyone's name from the church and you stick it on the one that's called Jesus. And so you actually become like fully united with him. The fact that he returns back to the Trinity means that you are now caught up in the heart of the Trinity as well. Like the fact that you are called the body of Christ. You are so completely united to him that you are now virtually part of him. When Jesus ascends back to heaven into the heart of the Trinity, you're there as well.
1: You mentioned this weeks ago, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Where Jesus talks, I think in John's gospel, talks about only one, only one person's come from heaven and only one person will return to heaven. Mm. in himself. Which which just made so much sense when Jesus then talks about I'm the you know the way, I'm I'm the life, I'm the truth, I am the door to heaven. Like it's only me. You, the only way in is with me, in me, as part yeah. of me. You know, because... not just holding hands, but part of.
2: Yeah. Because like we could say that Jesus is heaven. Like like it's not as though mm. heaven is this place. And if you're good, you get to go to that place. And if you to And you might to see like Jesus, Jesus on Sunday. Yeah, you might see Jesus on Sunday. Or if you're particularly religious, you can go to the religious section. It's actually that heaven is that relationship with the Trinity. And you only get there by being united with Christ.
1: Immersed in Jesus. Yeah. That sounds like baptism.
2: Yeah. yeah it's interesting
0: with baptism because in one sense, certainly for an adult, there is a choice there to become... A member to accept the invitation to become a member of the body of Christ. As an infant, that choice is made for you by your family,
1: but certainly within our own family, you're born into it. Yeah, I was going to say, your parents and your grandparents, when sorry, your parents and your godparents, when they make that decision for you, also take on an obligation to raise you in the faith and teach it to you. Like Mm. you promised that before the baptism, as part of the liturgy. It's Mm. a bit like, it's a bit like the promises you make in marriage in front of god in in the church and then you make similar promises when your child's being baptized and then there's probably a lot of people who don't actually have any intention of following through on those promises which is really bad for them
2: yeah it's an interesting one in terms of we kind of get born into the faith you know like if if you're baptized as a baby a big part of the process has already started it it suddenly becomes more like an opt-out rather than an opt-in at that point some people would say that's not as like not, not not as valid or not as important because, like I suppose that there are some traditions that would put a lot of emphasis on the individual choice that you have to personally choose Christ, and so you should therefore not be baptized until you're a teenager or an adult.
0: Infant baptism, though, is very strongly mirrored in the eighth day visit to the temple, the purification and consecration to God, circumcision.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and I think because it, it's coming from that idea of we're saved as a people, there, there is actually something really important about us communally bringing each mm. other to faith. Mm. It really is only a very modern thing, this whole emphasis on absolute individuality and yeah. individual choice. And, and a lot mm. of people interpret the scriptures through that radical individualism, whereas the culture in which this began was where whole families were coming to the lord and being baptized and and that's really what they were trying to do they were trying to change culture
1: including Um, not just children but probably slaves as well servants yeah
2: yeah exactly the the whole household really meant everybody now
1: i've been um i've started reading augustine's confessions you'll be proud of me
2: it's awesome yeah Um, it's just like c.s lewis
1: (laughs) just older
2: and as long as you get a good translation, otherwise it's... Painful. Yeah, this is,
1: this is quite a modern dynamic, easy to read. Not It's not in Latin.
2: But in that, he seems
1: to intonate that they were holding off his baptism until he was maybe... He got sick or something when he was a teenager and they thought he was going to die, so he's about to get baptised because, you know, he thought it's important because he was dying. And then he got better and it didn't happen at that time, so they pushed it off further in the future that that all seemed really quite strange (laughs) in terms of either the early church or or now
0: was this a case of i remember in the early church there was a sense of once you become a christian there was no real sense of reconciliation and so if you sinned then you failed and so they'd leave it as long as they possibly could before their deathbed before actually entering the body of Christ so that they, there was less chance of them stuffing it up.
2: Yeah. The the preparation for baptism was very serious back in the early church. So it'd be three years of training and fasting and preparation with the idea that it was a radical break in, breaking from your old life. Um, like you really turned away from sin. And the idea that was that you would never commit any serious sins ever again. So as you mentioned, Sam, there, there was the sacrament of reconciliation, but, but you really only receive it once in your lifetime. So it's, it's like you had one chance to confess serious sin. And, and, and with that, we're talking, you know, murder or adultery, stuff like that. So you, you had a, a bit of a tradition where people would become a catechumen. So they'd start the process, but they would hold their baptism off until later in life when they were really ready for it. And, and there's always been this idea that once you're a catechumen, if you die, it's basically like baptism of desire. So it's as though you've been baptised, even though you haven't been.
1: I just wrote on my notes here, baptism by desire and baptism by fire. They're the other two. So we should just clarify that. Baptism by desire is like if, for example, if you were in the car travelling to church to be baptised after being totally prepared and etc and this was the day and you were in a car crash and you died then the church says god will accept that you were baptized because
0: yeah yeah it's not a case of ah you didn't touch that altar horn yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: but and and probably doesn't need to be quite as extreme as that i guess but again intention as you get less uh, you know i mean there's a big difference between yeah maybe i might you know get baptized one day is probably quite different to being right there for it to happen. So I that's think, right. Yeah. Is, there's, a, there's a hazy bit in the middle there, is there?
2: Yeah. There's, there's always a bit there which God has to work out. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the other side of the uh, baptism by fire is where if someone is martyred before having been baptized, then that's counted as baptism. So that there have been cases where sometimes the person who is assigned to the executing, the Christians, is so inspired by their witness that they decide to join them. And so, yeah, that's basically counted as baptism.
1: I heard about one of those in the um, Balkans back, you know, the the wars just a couple of decades ago where a bunch of might have been Franciscans were being executed by, you know, the army that had come in and there was a guy who was an atheist with them. And at the end of it, and they'd, they'd, they'd shot these Monks, and then and then said to him, "What about you?" And he said, "Their God's my God." Mm. So they shot him too. I mean, that, that's baptism by
2: fire. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember reading back in the early Roman Empire, there was uh, one of the persecutions where all the everyone had to uh, sacrifice to the emperor, and there was a bunch of Christians in the army who refused, and so there was forty of them who were taken out to an ice sheet, an ice shelf. And basically, stripped naked, had to lie on the ice until they froze to death. And uh, they had this bath of hot water nearby. So at any time they wanted to renounce their faith, they could warm themselves up and be promised all sorts of riches and honor. And they they basically banded together saying, you know, all 40 of us are going to give our lives for Christ. But one of them right at the end couldn't cope anymore. So he, he ran off towards the bath. And I think he actually had a heart attack as soon as he hit the water or something and died. But one of the soldiers was so inspired by the others that he decided to strip off and join them. And so made up the full number of 40. Hmm. Yeah. So, but that that would have been a a case of baptism by fire or ice for that matter. (laughs) (laughs) Baptism by ice. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> i want to do a little bit of reading on the, the syrian martyrs because i'm pretty sure that in the the 12 syrian martyrs of a couple of years ago that there was actually a muslim with them who was martyred mm. alongside them but i have to do some reading on that that's my homework mm. to okay. see why he was there and how he came to be with them
1: well, it's kinda, alongside them kind of about that that he's talking about the Rome. The, was that the diocletian persecution or something like that one of those
2: There was a number of them. don't know which one it
1: was. he started that just with, um, you know, you had to make a sacrifice to the emperor, which, which is an, you know, an acknowledgement that the emperor is God. Mm. It sounds so bloody strange to modern ears. Imagine a politician going, saying, no, no, I am God. And you need to make sacrifices to me or I'll kill you. You go, how can you possibly, like, do something. I might believe
0: it or if you it? did it in the voice you did earlier on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, some would say it was like acknowledging the divinity in the emperor, that he was sort of like the, the divinely appointed one. So, so it was very much an acknowledgement of the emperor's authority. And, and it actually really split the church because, because a, a lot of Christians sort of looked at that and said, well, it's not actually – a, a pagan sacrifice. It's actually like a political acknowledgement. And so there were many Christians who decided to say, look, we think this is just a political action. And so we'll go with that. Whereas others said, no, this is actually, you know, some sort of pagan sacrifice. And so it, it actually caused huge trouble where, when the persecution finished and people wanted to come back to church, there was this huge division where they said, no, you've, you've renounced your faith. You can't do this. And yeah, so it, Difficult time for them uh, because everyone had a different interpretation on whether it was actually renouncing their faith or not.
1: And how how idolatrous it really was.
2: Yeah.
0: It feels like you've got a similar thread going through here for what you're talking about before with putting off baptism until near death in that there's a lot based on our own work uh, as opposed to the reliance on God's grace or God's mercy. Yeah, I'd say Uh, it
1: just seems like a bad idea like compared to I'll just stumble along in my own power for as long as possible until I'm about to die and then get baptized seems like a real compromise compared to I'll allow the grace of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to work in my life through these sacraments to actually make me better, not through my power, but through his power.
0: Uh, yeah. And, and, and perhaps I, Less of an emphasis on a forgiving God, and certainly what you're talking about with the Roman Empire there, uh, with the fracture that occurred afterwards within the church. This from the I mean, obviously you're paraphrasing there, Father Dave, but by the sounds of that, what, what they would have found quite difficult is is forgiveness for people who had deserted or people who had watched them suffer or whatever. It was. Well, the but, emperor wasn't a forgiving God, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or a God. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so obviously that's changed over. The, I know we're we're probably edging towards more reconciliation than we are baptism, but I take it that that has changed over the years. The mm. the perception of how forgiving is God.
2: It's kind of one of the fascinating questions in church history and theology because kind of like, like you, you you mentioned there briefly about work. You know how much of it is our work and how much of it is God's grace. That's been the hot issue for fifteen hundred years. So Saint Augustine had a huge argument with a guy called Pelagius who was an English monk where basically Augustine was saying it's purely God's mercy. Like we cannot do anything by ourselves. We're so bad. We're rotten. Whereas Pelagius seemed to suggest that actually God has given us the strength to be able to help us become good. Or or at least that's the summarized version of what he said. That wasn't
0: his idea. He'd Pelagiarized it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Theological Sorry. But anyway, basically, this is where Augustine sort of hardened his position to say, we are so bad and we carry this enormous guilt. And so the whole idea of original sin really got defined by Augustine, where he he basically presented it more as like original guilt and you're guilty at the point of your birth and the only thing that can save you is baptism. Later on, the church sort of backtracked a little bit from how extremely Augustine was saying that. But that then becomes significant a thousand years later with the Protestant Reformation because Luther was an Augustinian monk who'd read a lot of Augustine. And so when Luther comes along and says, we're really bad, we cannot save ourselves, it has to be faith, that's where you now end up with the, the argument we've been having for 500 years of whether we're saved by faith or saved by works.
1: But it's, I thought that was sort of reasonably easy to summarise that, you know you're saved by faith but works proves the faith sort of thing you can't just confess something and then go and commit horrendous sins you can't go and, you can't say jesus lord is faith and then go and kill people for a living or something because mm. it's just it proves that you don't mean it
2: yeah and, and i think i mean the, the basic thing is that you can't actually do anything good without the spirit of god at work in you so hmm. even for a non-Christian to be doing something good, the spirit of God is, is at work. And, and I think this is why, like was here, we, we probably should do a whole episode on this because it's a big controversial issue still. But the, the the second Vatican council came out and said that it is possible for non-Christians to be saved. What it was trying to recognize is the fact that there's a whole bunch of people who have never been able to hear about Jesus. You know, like if you grew up in communist Russia, Multiple generations were not allowed to hear about Jesus, and it's not as though God was going to damn them to hell forever just because of that. The degree to which the Spirit of God is at work in them, and that's reflected by the fact that they're loving. You know, they're being charitable. Yeah, well,
0: if, if God is love, they they would actually know God, but not by name.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one one theologian talked about this idea of like the anonymous Christian, where. where They're basically living in the spirit of Jesus. They just have never heard of Jesus. Mm. But like I say, that's a a huge controversial point even today because a lot of people would want to push us very much to that black and white thing of you know, only Catholics are in heaven, whereas others would be on the other side saying the Spirit of God's working in everybody. Yeah,
1: but there's a difference saying only Catholics go to heaven, or everyone in heaven is now Catholic.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm reminded of the parable of those who are given more. More is expected. Yes. Yes. So for those who do actually know God, who know Jesus, who have access to the sacraments,
1: more is expected,
0: and and the opportunity to love deeper, to sacrifice. That those opportunities uh, arise probably more frequently.
1: I've got. Uh, I, I've got a good example. I think it's a good example of... Um, <laughs> I've this,
0: got uh, a good example. Sit yeah, back. Can, yeah,
1: get excited of the action, God's action in my life in terms of grace, right? I was um, I was praying one time months back at adoration, and I really felt the Lord saying to me to not yell at one of my kids. Quite specific, saying, you just stop it. And I said, but Lord, you know that I'm not capable of that. <laughs> you know what I'm like. <laughs> and the only possible way that could happen is if you made that happen. And I felt like the Lord said, you've got a deal. And I thought this is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> but, but strange, well, maybe not strangely. After that, I've... I have ever since then, I, I have not yelled at that particular child. <laughs> no matter what, how bad um, you know things happen, but um, that's a
2: tangible example of the grace of God, because it's, it's not me. I'm, I'm a hothead. <laughs> I think that's a really good example of claiming the grace of your baptism. Like for most people, baptism is something which happened back then and they've just forgotten about it. And they hope that they can use it to get into heaven at the end of, of their life. But but the, like we, we mentioned that idea of how baptism frees us from original sin. I think the better way to explain it is probably that it starts the process of undoing the effects of original sin in us. Hmm. Or, or in a sense, it it, it it immediately heals the first part of original sin, which is our division between us and God. But then it works on the division that is inside our own soul, you know, where we're not in control of our desires and our emotions and you know, that tendency to sin, which we need the Holy spirit working in us every day to overcome. I think most people don't realize the power that they have in claiming their baptism to say, help me to not shout at my kids. They kind of think I'm just a rotten sinner. God has to put up with me cause I can't change. Whereas if every day you're actually saying, God, we made a deal with our baptism that you are going to help me to become a saint. Mm. And so every day I'm going to bring you my brokenness and I'm going to exchange that for the Holy spirit. And you're going you to do the fix. Yeah. You fix what I can't fix.
1: Now that's when I was a kid, that's like just how things happened because when things were broken, you'd take him to dad and he'd fix it. Yeah. And that's one of my perpetual disappointments is now that I'm dad, I have to do all that. right?
0: <laughs> Unless you broke it with your own stupidity, at which point you hide it behind the cupboard and just hope no one finds it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But that, um, that me of that St. Therese of Lisieux concept of father. If, if I'm, if I'm still not perfect, that's because you haven't done enough to make me so. Yeah. Which I just think fantastic. So that the confidence and the trust in the Father that that yeah. um, expresses, I just think is amazing.
0: I had a speaking engagement with some Year 11 students in Canberra this morning over Zoom, and I actually used the quote from St. Therese of Lisieux, which is I've just brought up on my laptop here. God would never inspire me with the desires which cannot be realised. So in spite of my littleness, I can hope to be a saint. So mm. actually putting it back that whilst we are small and little, it's God that has that is propelling us forward and holding us in existence and calling us deeper and calling us to not yell at our children.
2: And a big part of that is actually living your new identity. Like I think most of us in, in relationship with God, I think most of us live like we're orphans. Like, like we pray to God, we ask God to help us, but we assume that we're like people who have been abandoned by a parent and we're just going to be self-sufficient.
0: feel like we've sent off an email. We hope for a response.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It's like maybe writing a letter to your parent who lives overseas and six months later, it might come back to you. Whereas I think we actually need to live in that identity that we are co-heirs with Christ. You know, the whole world belongs to us. Um, We don't have to go eating out of the rubbish bin anymore because we are sons and daughters of God. Whereas most of our sin is because I think we, we feel we're like orphans, we're abandoned. We've just got to get by with whatever we can find.
1: So that's another yeah. that's another comparison, I think, between Christianity and every other religion in that Christianity seems to be the only one where you actually get help.
2: Mm.
1: You ask for grace, you ask for help, you know, and then you get it.
2: Yeah, God climbs down the mountain to our level and then asks us what we need. Mm. Mm.
0: He chose us.
2: It's
0: mm. a really important point that I think is lost often is that at baptism everything changed massively and for for us being baptized as infants we have no recollection of that change mm. of what happened prior to that and if we grew up in the church then we don't necessarily know that life before it and so yeah i think we we do lose sight of the immense significance of baptism and being called into the family of christ into the body of christ the family of
1: God. So we just need to do that again and then cut it out and stick it at the start. But baptism where everything changed. Dun, dun,
2: dun. <laughs> so after an hour, we finally get to the opening line of the podcast. Nice.
1: No, <laughs> We've got that. Okay. You ready to go? And <laughs> cue the music.
0: <laughs> Anything anyone want to add?
1: Um, we can leave that to the next one. Uh, we talked to infant, infant versus adult baptism by water desire and fire we talked about the infilling the holy spirit talked about the adoption by god we talked about the forgiveness of sins actual and original and we've managed to
2: make that last an hour
0: (laughs) so in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit Amen. Amen. amen Holy Father, thank you so much for the gift of baptism, the the gift of family, of adoption into you, into the Trinity. We uh, we probably struggle, Lord, to actually understand what that fully means. We pray, Lord, you would give us, the, the grant us the grace to more fully appreciate your love for us and and the beauty of your family. Um, we thank you, Lord, for the people who have encouraged us in our faith, who have made those decisions on our behalf to help us, to call us into your family. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to draw others into the family. And we pray all this in your name, Lord God. Amen. Amen. Mother Mary, please pray for, us.
1: pray for us. Pray for us. In the name of the
0: Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Dave, would you like to give us all a blessing?
2: We just pray, pray your blessing on us here and anyone who's listening. Blessing of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, so next week,
1: what's, what's next? Is reconciliation next or is confirmation next or...
2: Good question. So um, will you probably do the well, sacraments of initiation, baptism, Eucharist, confirmation? They're the un- unrepeatable ones. Well, the initiation ones at least.
0: Oh, we didn't mention unrepeatable. We're going to do that.
2: Yeah.
1: So what are unrepeatable? Confirmation and baptism. Holy orders. You can't do holy orders twice, can you? <laughs> Why, marriage is unrepeatable, isn't it? Oh, no, I suppose someone can die.
2: Yeah, someone dies.
1: So, yeah, okay. So there's there's legitimate ways to do that. You can't do holy orders twice.
2: But you can go deeper into it. So being ordained as a bishop is ordination again, but it's a greater share in the priesthood of Christ.
1: Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so next week, reconciliation?
2: Mm, We just had our night last night. We had like 44 kids or something go through.
1: Yeah, right. Nice. Mm. Okay, reconciliation, it's my second favorite.